0: We can turn this morning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Um, A young man was driving through the countryside and his car broke down and uh, his cell phone had no signal. He thought, oh man, I'm stuck. And so he realized he was going to have to try to figure out how to get some help. So he he saw a light up on the hill in this countryside area and went up there. There was a monastery up on the hill and you know, he, he went up there, knocked on the front door and uh, some monks a- answered the door and, and they said, know, can we help you? And he said, well, my car broke down and I'm kind of in trouble. And well, the monks were really hosp- hospitable. They, uh, one guy got his toolbox, went down, and started working on the car. The others said, hey, come on in, we'll give you some dinner and it's getting late. you know? And the guy's just like, great. You know? And he, he's eating, his car's getting fixed. And they said, hey, dude, just uh, stay here. You can crash here. And then uh, it's getting late. Why don't you head home tomorrow? you know, Feel free to stick around. And so he did. And When he was trying to go to sleep there in the monastery, he heard this strange noise from somewhere in the monastery and he started walking around at night there and came to this wooden door, big, heavy wooden door that was locked. And he he heard the noise from behind there but he thought, what is that? But the locked door, he, he, he couldn't really open it. So the next morning, he asked the monks, hey, what's that noise coming from the wooden door? And they said, well, we sure would like to tell you, but you're not a monk. You mean I have to be a monk to understand what that noise is? Yeah, sorry. He was, I was like, yeah, whatever. And he, and he thought that was kind of weird, but he tried to forget about it. But even after he drove off for, for days, months, even years, he, he was wondering what in the world was that noise? It was really a curious thing to him and it drove him a little crazy. So several years later, he was driving through that same region. He thought, I'm gonna go up and knock on the door and ask him again. So he goes up, knocks on the door and the same monks, you remember me? Oh yeah, we remember you, yeah. You know, and they, they, uh, he said, you know, I just, you gotta tell me, it's been driving me crazy. You know, tell me what's behind that wooden door. It's making that noise. And the monks said, uh, "Man, we'd love to tell you, but you're not a monk." Well, what do I need to do to become a monk? He said, "Well, of our order of the monkdom, you um, have to, <laughs> you have to um, go to ten different countries and learn ten different languages." And you have to serve, it's a lifelong commitment, you know, pretty much. And, and if you do that, then you're introduced to our program. Uh, and he's like, okay, and he goes, and he does that and goes to 10 different countries, learns 10 different languages. And, and like 30 years later, he comes driving up to the monastery again. And he says, I've done what you've said. Now tell me what's behind the door. And they said, well, we'll give you a key to that door since you did that. So he goes up and he's all excited. He opens the wooden door and looks in and sees a, a brass door with a key. He says, well, what do I need to do? To get, this? He said, well, you don't want to do this. You have to memorize the whole Old Testament. Okay, he went into one of the cells and for about a year, he spent the time memorizing the whole Old Testament. And so he gets the key to the brass door and opens it and he sees a silver door. Well, what do I need to do to that? Well, if you read the New Testament, then we'll give you the key to the silver door. Okay, and he goes back in a year and a half later. He memorizes the New Testament, gets it all down and they give him the key to the silver door and he goes up and he opens the door and there's a gold door. He's like, what do I need to do? Oh, I'll, you don't want to do this. You have to spend a whole year in the dungeon here, uh, bread and water only. And he said, okay. And he goes down and he waits for a year and, he, and all skeletal and emaciated and he's all you know, wiped out. He comes crawling up the stairs out of the dungeon and he spends his year and they give him the key to the golden door. And finally he opens that door and he sees something that he can't even believe. The most wonderful thing he ever sees. What is it? I'd like to tell you, but you're not a monk. <laughs> Brett, you just wasted half your sermon time <laughs> telling us a stupid story. <laughs> you know, people will do anything and go to amazing, incredible lengths to figure out the, what the secret to life is or what, how to find true peace or how to, how to, how to truly be at rest and, and at peace with yourself and all this stuff. And books have been written and they tell you what to do. And if you do this, that, and the other, then you'll find this great place of peace and blessing in your life. People want to know, but it seems to elude them because books keep are being written and, and podcasts are continually made and people are still talking about what you're supposed to do to be happy or at peace. But, but often the more you and I try to find that, the more frustrated we find ourselves. In fact, um, happiness, rest, um, peace actually seems to be worse sometimes the harder you try. But often people would rather memorize you know, 10 languages and memorize the Old Testament, New Testament and do the difficult stuff, hoping to find peace than just doing the simple plan. As it turns out, the Bible is extremely simple and the way of life is simple. But the problem is many of us don't wanna just simply believe what the Bible declares. It's too easy. It can't be that easy. It can't be that simple. Um, and, and the problem is um, when Jesus says something, you need to believe it. Because Jesus, his word, Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like when Jesus, when we read these red letters in the gospel, um, he knows what he's talking about. As the creator, he knows what he's talking about. And the the verses, the words we're gonna read right here are um, common, maybe you've heard them before. But nonetheless, it's something that I think largely we forget or we don't believe because it's too simple. But I wanna show you how important and really how deep what Jesus is actually saying uh, and how it pertains to us. So it's Matthew chapter 11. Why don't you take a look with me here. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. It says here, "'Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Jesus who knows all things, says, here's the thing, come to me, yoke with me, learn of me. Three directives that are really quite simple, but do we believe that that's the answer to true, well, what, rest for your soul? That's what he says, you shall find rest for your soul. It's an interesting thing that Jesus brings up here because I'm not sure a lot of us think about resting your soul. Most of us, especially the older we get, you think about rest for your body. Man, I need a nap. Uh, I could use some rest for my body. Um, but even when you exert a lot of energy, you, you think I need rest. And, but as it turns out, Jesus talks about a kind of rest that's not your body. You see, in the Bible, the Bible talks about you as being a three-part person, body, soul, and spirit. And as it turns out, not only does your body need rest, but your soul gets tired and weary. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, and you shall find, when you come to me, when you learn of me, when you yoke with me, you'll find rest unto your souls. And the question is, does your soul need rest? How about our culture? Does our culture need solical kind of rest? Well, the answer is absolutely Yes. If you were with us on Prophecy Update, uh, we were talking about how people are more stressed out and full of anxiety than ever. In fact, um, there was a study done by, uh, by Barna and World Vision. They, it was a huge study. Um, 15,000 18 to 35 year olds uh, from 25 different countries around the globe. So it was kind of a global study Um, of 18 to 35-year-olds, and they're finding that this generation right now is one of the highest stress groups, Um, anxious, depressed, and and they're they're linking it to a lot of things. But one of the things, of course, is the last several years of COVID lockdowns and uncertainties in the world. Um, But even where we're going and what's happening in the world today, um, the 18 to 35-year-olds, they found a bunch of things. Um, Some of them are really kind of sad. Like, for example, uh, just one in three 18 to 35-year-old respondents tells Barna they often feel deeply cared for by someone around them. Um, That means two out of the three don't feel cared for by people around them. Uh, Nobody cares. That's a sad statistic. Um, That's 33%. Or um, that someone believes in them. That's also um, two out of the three don't believe anybody actually thinks they can do anything or amount to anything. Um, They also acknowledged uh, by the majority of uh, encountering feelings of loneliness and isolation. So these are the the characteristics that we've seen at new levels of depression and anxiety in 18 to 35 year olds. And as it turns out, this is what Jesus is talking about. When he talks about rest for your soul, the word soul in the Bible is often from the Greek word psyche. Um, And so this is an interesting description of what happens to your psyche. Now, I gotta say this as a disclaimer. If you're into psychology, um, can I just give you a word of caution? Because psychology claims to be the authority on the human psyche, and the Bible says, no, the Bible is the authority on the human psyche. Oh, it doesn't say that, Brett. No, it says soul, which the Greek word is psyche. Um, The Bible, God says, I know how the human soul works, and psychology often disagrees. That's, That's something you should be cautious about. And the sad thing is a lot of your universities teaching psychology, even your Christian universities, have kind of said, yeah, the Bible doesn't know what it's talking about. Uh, This is the truth. And so they go with, well, honestly, a lot of the Freudian psychology is a fraudulent uh, psychology. Um, Some of Freud's findings, you can look this up. This is not just me. Look it up. But he made up some of his findings. Some of his stuff was proven to be fraudulent. I call him Freud the Fraud. That's what he was. Um, And yet we still base much of modern psychology on Freudian ideas and what have you. When it comes to the soul, Jesus says this, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And and he says, and I will give you rest and you shall find rest to your souls. This is what the world craves. And here Jesus offers um, rest to the soul. Now, now, by the way, um, when your tired body, uh, you know, you kind of wonder, well, that was because I dug a ditch. I remember when my dad, in the summertime, he'd always give me jobs. Brett, you know, got a little job for you. Okay, what is it? Um, I need you to dig a ditch. Uh, it needs to be two feet wide, three feet deep, and from here, about 300 yards that way. And when you're finished, you can have the rest of the day off. <laughs> and uh, that was a typical summer day, uh, but it was great, you know. It was a, you know it was a way to get in shape. My dad would always say, you know, some people pay money for this, Brett, to get a membership in a gym, and I'm I'm d- doing this for you for free. You know, he used to say stuff like that. But you know, after digging a ditch all day, your body is tired. But here's something I've found in life that have you ever noticed that sometimes you can almost be more tired with your brain engaged or anxious or stressed or whatever your soul, you can almost feel more drained with a tired soul than you do with a tired body. In fact, sometimes I've noticed that if your soul is you know, taxed, that your body actually responds in the same way. Like I wonder if sometimes your soul actually um, you know, shows itself through just being wiped out, feeling fatigued and what have you. And so people constantly are trying to find rest to their souls. And so where do they go? Well, let me tell you, you won't find soul rest in a Netflix binge. Um, you won't find solical rest um, on a coast or camping trip. Oh, those are fun. You might have a good time, uh, but it's not really gonna necessarily, that's why on vacation, have you ever gone on vacation only to come back from vacation? Like, man, I need a vacation for my vacation. Uh, you're wiped out, why? Because it's, it's not really a soul, especially if you have kids and you've been on vacation. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, you come back, you're just wiped out. Okay, just let me go back to work where I can rest. Um, but but your soul, you won't find soul rest on a coast trip or camping or vacation. You won't find a soul rest in a tub of Ben and Jerry's cherry Garcia. I've proven that one over and over again. Doesn't work. Um, but you know the thing is, what what is this soul rest that Jesus is talking about? Well, it has a lot to do with some of these words. Um, You know, when we talk about soul being wiped out and heavy laden, you know, it's no wonder your body's tired. Did you know your heart beats 103,389 times a day? That's That's a lot of beats. And every time your heart beats, the average heart pumps about four ounces of blood in that one single heartbeat. Um, And and what's interesting is if you calculate how much blood your heart beats in a single day, it turns out that your heart uh, pumps 3,241 gallons of blood a day. That's a lot of work. Your little heart, hopefully it's doing that. Um, Hopefully it keeps doing that. Um, Your blood's gonna uh, travel, you know, uh, they say millions of miles in your bloodstream because of all the tiny little vessels and arteries and what have you. Um, did you know you'll breathe 23,040 times, inhale and exhale that, that many times? You'll breathe in and out 438 cubic feet of air. Um, they say the average stomach will ingest 3.5 pounds of food. I would argue with that one a little bit. It's a relative term. Um, they say men speak 4,800 4, 4, words a day. Interesting. <coughs> What, what are you guys laughing about? I I just, oh, you wanna know what women, oh. Women speak 7,000 words a day. I'm just reading here uh, the the, the stats. Um, Did you know you move 750 muscles a day uh, on the average? Like, no wonder we all feel pooped. Your body is working, but as it turns out, God created our bodies in such a way that's kind of incredible. It just keeps working away and doing its thing. But I think that that society is more wiped out in the area of the soul. Um, And so this idea of of what do you need to do, Jesus gives us the three easy directives. Come to me, yoke with me, learn of me. Let's break this down. Number one, if you're taking down notes, you can jot these things down. Number one, Jesus says, come to me. What a glorious invitation um, that he says, come to me. And who is he inviting to come to him? I love it. Come unto me, all you who are wealthy, All you are happy? All of you who are wise? No, I love it. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus is inviting the the people that are wiped out and messed up and hurting. That's who he wants to have come to him. You know, we saw this sort of illustrated practically on Wednesday night as Jesus uh, chose his 12 apostles. Um, We saw that they were guys that were kind of messed up. Matthew was a sinful publican uh, ripoff artist. Um, you know, and he becomes one of Jesus' disciples. Peter, you know, one of the things, if you walked into the group of the disciples when you saw Jesus, the first thing you would notice is a horrible aroma of dead fish. These guys were fishermen. Much of these guys, they were fishermen. I'm sure they took on that smell. Um, Some of the guys were zealots. They were guys that wanted to kill Romans and they hated the Romans. And then that same guy would hate Matthew who worked for the Romans. Like this was a group of disciples that Jesus chose. And it always impresses me that Jesus took these guys and, transformed them to be the apostles. In the same way, he's inviting us, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Man, I love that he invites us. Jesus did not say, come to church, all who are weary and heavy laden. Um, or listen to a sermon, all who are weary, or or listen to a podcast, or do a bunch of religious things. Um, I love that, that Jesus said, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden. Now, this, this idea of heavy laden is also coupled with the word burden. And I want to show you something here, because this, if you know the rest of the Bible and kind of how it fits with this, this is really good news, that Jesus is saying, come to me with your heavy ladenness or your burdens. Because here he says in our text, he says uh, verse, um, verse 30 says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, ex- exchange your heavy laden burdens and I wanna give you a different burden that's light. Now this plays into something when we, we wanna break down a couple words like burden and the word yoke because there's so much implication here as you read the rest of the Bible. First of all, let's, let's break down this word burden. In the Bible, there's a, there's a word for, two words for burden that are kind of interesting that mean a little bit different. I learned this when I was, by the way, I was a young kid uh, just in college. And one of these professors said, well, the Bible's full of contradictions. And this was one of the apparent contradictions. They always bring up these goofy uh, contradictions in the Bible. And uh, this was one. And, and I remember doing a little study on this, realizing that it wasn't a contradiction at all. But let me just show you where it is. It's Galatians chapter six, verse two where it says there, Paul tells the people of Galatia, bear ye one another's burdens, there it is, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Question, what is the law of Christ, anybody? Love, it's love your neighbor as yourself, love God, love people, the law of Christ is love. So this is part of Jesus' plan, bear one another's burdens, and you're fulfilling the law of Christ to love, right? Um, So then just a few verses later in Galatians 6, 5, Paul says this, for every man shall bear his own burden. And there it is again, burden. But this is where he says, see, the Bible's just full of contradictions. Is, what are you gonna do, bear one another's burdens or are you supposed to bear your own burden? Which one? And the problem, well, it's not a problem at all, especially if you go to the original language of the Greek New Testament. Because the words for burden are two different Greek words. Both mean burden, but they have a different uh, uh, connotation. Well, and let me explain those to you. So um, don't forget these verses, but then let's talk about these two words. The Greek words for, that are used here is the word fortion and baros in the Greek text. The word fortion is a word, um, and you might say fortune, uh, in the way we would translate that, but um, it means a load, freight, cargo, necessary, doable, reasonable burden. Um, a fortune burden is something that you're kind of expected to carry. But the word baros in the Greek is a undoable sort of uh, weight, heaviness, trouble, overwhelming. You're, you're not physically designed to be able to carry or it wasn't engineered to carry that kind of weight. So it's a baros burden. Baros is overwhelming. Portion is uh, doable. Um, so back to our verses, when, when the Lord says, um, you know, that we're to bear one another's burdens, the word he employs, baros. We're to come alongside of each other with the burdens that people are bearing that are too great for them. They're overwhelming, baros. But then he says, but you also, every man's supposed to bear his own burden. The word is portion, which means your necessary pack or load that you're supposed to carry. And as it turns out, we all are required by the Lord to carry a certain load in a certain way. But there's some loads that you can't bear and you weren't designed to carry. Let me give you an example, I, I, I've used this before, but um, you know, when I was, Tad and I were leading a bunch of fourth, fifth and sixth grade boys up Mount McLaughlin, we did, I did this 14 times in a row. Every year we, we'd climb to 9,000 something feet. It was a fun climb, but um, the boys, it would be tough, but I, I carried a, a pack with me, a, a small pack, that had a first aid kit, it had uh, my uh, uh, nutrition that I like to carry, Fig Newtons, the hiking food of champions. Uh, I always carried a pack of Fig Newtons and um, water and a walkie-talkie so that I could keep in touch with my other uh, leaders of the group. And that was, if you would, that was the fortune. That was the necessary pack that I was supposed to carry. One of the trips, we got up to about 5,000 feet, and one of the kids got kind of that, you know, altitude sickness. But he was, we were kind of in a tricky spot because I didn't have enough leaders to split the group into two. Uh, and have one group go back and have the rest keep climbing. And so we were kind of trying to figure out what to do. The kid was like, I want to make it to the top, but I can't go any further. And so I took this sixth grade kid. And I was younger and a little better shape in those days. And I, I just kind of picked him up, put him on my shoulders. He was a big sixth grade kid too. And I just started hiking up the mountain, you know, up Mount McLaughlin. Uh, and, uh, and I remember it was probably one of the most physically exhausting things I've ever done, hiking to the top of Mount McLaughlin with a sixth grader on my shoulders. Um, talk about leg pump. Have you ever done a workout in the gym where your legs just felt like rubber? When I got to the top of the mountain, I was like, like, wow. And when I took him off my shoulders, I was like falling backward because I was so used to his weight it took me an hour to get my equilibrium back. And uh, it kind of messed me up. And I thought to myself, I'm never going to do that again. Um, that was stupid. Um, but, but all that to say, uh, that was a baros. It was a burden that was not really doable. It was, I did it, but barely, and, and I paid the price. I was sore for weeks after that. you know. And that's the idea. One's a necessary burden, one's not. So w- what's going on here? Jesus says, come unto me, all oh, you who are weary and heavy laden. The idea is you're overly burdened Um, with stuff you're not supposed to be burdened with. The Lord says, your body, your your soul was not designed to carry that. And so the Lord says, I want to bear that burden for you. Um, So Jesus is not talking about that necessary burden, yet he will um, when he talks about the next concept, the idea of yoking, um, yoke. Um, Let's bring that point up. Point number one, Jesus says, come to me. The second one is Jesus says, yoke with me. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Um, what does it mean to take the yoke of Christ um, or to be yoked with Christ? Does that mean going to the gym and get yoked, man? Is that what it means? No, when I was a little kid, I think, what does eggs have to do with anything here? And I, I, I was confused, but when you, when you learn what this is, in the Bible times, a yoke was that wooden structure. They actually had yoke specialists in Bible times. There was a, usually a person there in the, the community that would be the yoke maker. And he would take a beam, and he would shape the wood in a in a way that would fit that person's specific team of oxen, uh, whether it was a two team or a four team or whatever. He would he would craft and carve a specific yoke, and a good yoke maker would would make the uh, the ox be more productive. Because if it fit right, it'd be like if you're gonna run a 10 mile run and you put on your dress shoes and they were one size too small. How would your feet feel after running 10 miles? Well, in the same way for an oxen, uh, t- a team of ox to uh, do the work day after day, the yoke had to fit right or else it would cause all kinds of problems. In fact, there's some interesting things when you study about this. The yoke maker would actually be, uh, measure each ox and try, try to figure it out because if the bigger, stronger ox um, didn't have proper dispersion of the weight, the the smaller ox would have to carry more than he was able. And so the ox maker would make sure, or the yoke maker would make sure that the the, the yoke was evenly distributed to where the the proper amount of tension would be on the the bigger ox and less on the smaller. If it was wrong, eventually it would cripple the smaller, weaker ox if you didn't have your yoke adjusted just right. Um, So this is kind of the imagery. If you could picture, Jesus is talking about your yoke that's a burden that's too heavy. It's not working. So he says, take my yoke upon you. Yoke, if you would, with me. Um, I wanna be yoked with you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, is what he says. Um, What does this mean, this idea of the yoke? Well, if you read the rest of the Bible, one of the things you'll be shocked is the Bible talks about the yoke in several, like in in this sort of um, uh, way of, of of sort of an idiom in the Bible. It's not just about an oxen thing, but it's about spiritual truths as well, this idea of yoking. Uh, One that many of you are familiar with, it says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. That's probably one of the most famous yoke scriptures in the Bible, which uh, means if you're a Christian, don't be linking yourself with a non-believer. And how do you link yourself with a non-believer? One of the worst things we see is marriage. When a, a man marries a woman, and then one's a Christian, one's not. Um, that's a disaster waiting to happen. The Bible says, don't do that. You might even say this, and boy, I've seen this a million times, and I'm sorry if you've done this and you're uh, dealing with this now, but I've seen Christians go into business with non-believers thinking, oh, they're a great guy, great people. We're gonna go into business. And then they realize their values are different. Their objectives are different and their businesses end up not doing well because you're unequally yoked. So that's a concept of the Bible. Uh, yoke is a common thing. But there's things that the Bible talks a lot about about yoking that I wanna bring up because it has more to do with what Jesus is talking about. And I'm gonna say it this way, there's bad yokes and there's good yokes. You might say there's bad yokes or even baros yokes, yokes where the burden is too great. And that's what Jesus is talking about. We gotta get rid of this yoke. And what are the kinds of yokes the Bible tells us about? Well, there's actually two main ones that are the dastardly bad yokes or the baros yokes. Yokes that you aren't designed to carry. Um, And that's important to our discussion here. Uh, Let me give you just the two main ones. Number one, yoke number one that you're not really ready to deal with is the yoke of sin. Um, The Lord doesn't want us to be burdened down by our sin. And that's what sin does. Sin is a heavy weight. Now this is a problem because when you're young um, and you're still fairly innocent, all the old people try to tell the young people, don't do this and don't do that. And you better watch out for this. And young people are like, yeah, whatever. You're old and washed up and, and has been. And the reason why is because they had a yoke of sin that they got crushed by. And so young people oftentimes say, yeah, whatever. So when an old geezer like me says, don't sleep with anyone until you're married, purity, abstinence before you're married. And you know, like, oh, brother, everybody sleeps together. Come on, Pastor Brett, you old dinosaur, listen. I'm telling you, as a guy who's done over a thousand weddings, uh, lots of marriage counseling over the years, this is something that's true. The Bible tells us this very clearly. Even though our culture says, yeah, whatever, we can sleep with whoever you want. But here's the problem. When you start sinning, remember, I say it all the time, sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. Sin messes you up and it puts a weight on your shoulders. And and when you're young, you don't feel that weight. You're young and strong and you're handling it for now. So the young high school kid, yeah, I can sleep around, you know, uh, who cares? I'm I'm gonna have sexual relations with whoever I want. And as he does, oh, it's great. The Bible even honestly says, there's pleasure in sin for a season. But the problem with your sin is it starts to yoke you up, not in a good way. It starts to put weight on your shoulders. And then you get a little older, then you're 21 and you finally meet the girl of your dreams and she's a Christian who loves Jesus and she kept herself pure and then, then you're wanting to marry her and she's kind of like, well, I don't know, man. Uh, you've got kind of a crazy past of promiscuity. Yeah, but I love you. And, and then you have to kind of explain and then she's wondering if, if she marries you, will, she, will you be thinking about some of the other girls you've slept with over the years? And, and, and then not even to mention some of the creepy stuff like sexually transmitted diseases. That's the yoke that starts to hit your shoulders that you didn't count on. And pretty soon, 20 years into your marriage, you still have got all kinds of baggage from previous things you've done that start to weigh. And then, and then you know, by the way, they say that those who live promiscuity uh, before marriage are way more likely to end in divorce, way more likely to end with an adulterous affair. It's funny how people think you can sleep around until you get married, then you're supposed to be faithful. What do you think when you get married, like God sprinkles you with discipline dust and suddenly you're, you're not gonna sleep with anybody else? Like, and people wonder why there's affairs. Um, when you lived a, a promiscuous sexual lifestyle before you got married, like, come on. It's what I'm talking about. It's not even, I mean, we don't have to talk biblical. We can, but let's just talk logical for half a second. Um, that's just, it just doesn't work that way. So you end up being an old geezer at 30 and you feel like, man, I got this weight. I've got trouble in my marriage. Uh, I feel the burden of sin and I'm feeling yoked and it's a, it starts to become that baros burden. That's why the Lord said no from the beginning because those sins pile up and then add that to all your other sins. And before long, you're like, man, I, I'm buried into the ground. You know who talked about this was Jeremiah the prophet because the children of Israel were blowing off God's word and, his, and they were doing all that stuff, promiscuous, sinful, sexual, crazy, pagan almost lifestyles. And so Jeremiah the prophet gives us Lamentations chapter 1, verse 14. And he says this, the yoke, there it is, the yoke of my transgressions is bound by his hand. They are wreathed and come upon my neck. So it's like the, the yoke is all circled around my neck. And he hath made my strength to fail or to fall, pardon me. Um, And the Lord hath delivered me into their hands from whom I am not able to rise up. The weight got so heavy of their transgressions, that's a fancy word for sin, that he says, the yoke has pushed me down to where I fall and I'm pressed into the dirt. That's the imagery. And you know what? The sad thing is, there's a lot of old people in this room who say, yeah, I've kind of been there where my sin just drove me into the ground it's usually not the 18 year old that feels that. It's usually the 30, 40, 50 year old that starts feeling like they're being driven into the ground. As sin left you in the dirt, squished, you know, some addiction, you know, whether it's, you know, you started off just sleeping around in high school, but then it becomes a pornography addiction, and then pretty soon it messes up your whole life, and you're wondering, why? Why am I driven into the dirt? And the answer is sin is bad. The way of the transgressor, the Bible says, is hard. You become yoked with sin. This is what Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, kind of in a New Testament sort of way. Um, In Hebrews 12, one, it says, "'Let us also lay aside every weight.'" That word weight is sort of that burden that we're talking about. Um, It's the heavy weight that nobody should be bearing. And and, and then it tells us what that weight is. "'Let us lay aside every weight and sin, "'which clings so closely.'" That's the yoke. "'And let us,' and what are we supposed to do? Run with endurance, the race that is set before us. As it turns out, we're called to run a race. But if you're all yoked with the weight of sin, you're not gonna be running very well, if at all. Um, We need to have the yoke lifted from us. So let us run the race. How do we do that? Well, then it gives us the answer, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You might say, well, what does the cross have to do with the weight of this sin and, well, everything. The reason Jesus says, come unto me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, the answer, Jesus can take the burden off. That's what this verse is about. How do you lay aside the yoke of sin? You can't just do it by yourself. You've you've got to come to Jesus and yoke with Jesus on this. That's why he says, the answer is to look to Jesus, who is the one who died on the cross, um, endured the cross so that we could be saved from the baros, the weight of our sin. So um, we see it in Lamentations, we see it here in Hebrews, but the idea of yoke is often, um, you know, linked to this idea of of, uh, of our sin. Um, and it gets uglier and uglier. Um, you know, the, the longer you live with sin unchecked, it starts becoming grotesque. I think Isaiah the prophet dove into this a little bit. The children of Israel had been rampant in their sins for so long. And Isaiah's language gets really kind of almost crazy. Check this out in Isaiah chapter one, verse four. He says, oh, sinful nation, a people laden, that's that heavy yoke, laden with iniquity or sin, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward." why should you be stricken anymore? He's asking rhetorically, why should you guys be crunched by this horrible sin that you're doing? In other words, stop. Um, But he says, you will revolt more and more. He says, the whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there's no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. What a gross Bit of imagery, man. You got stinking sores that are passing. Like this is the imagery, Isaiah. Whenever you read gross stuff in the Bible, it usually is talking about sin and what it does to us. And one of the Bible's narratives right here, it puts this yoke of heaviness on you. When you go with unrepentant, unconfessed sin, you're burdened down, you're yoked. Even as this verse, people laden with iniquity. That's the language there. So the more we tingle with sin, the more we're burdened down by it. That's just the rule of life. But as it turns out, the word yoke is not just attributed to our sin. It's that for sure. But there's another word that might surprise you that is often in the Bible, uh, talking about a bad baros sort of yoke that's too heavy for you as well. And it's the yoke, number one, the yoke is sin, but number two, the yoke is religion. Huh? Brett, aren't you supposed to be a purveyor of religion? Well, as it turns out, religion is a funny little word. We'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, some of you are like, what's wrong with the religion? You know, you're singing, give me that old time religion. That's a great old song. It is, and I like that old song. But uh, we want the old time religion, but we don't want the new time religion. I'll tell you why. The word religion has become sort of an ugly word. It implies religious rules, legalism, uh, making people, the, you know, the do's and the don'ts. And you better be good or else in this kind of legalistic mentality. Now, here's here's where this first started. It first started in the early church. At the very beginnings of the church, this religion started to creep in in kind of a weird way. Here's what happened. Remember when Peter was there at the house of Simon the Tanner down in Joppa and he's up on the roof and he has this vision of a sheet that comes down and the Lord says, rise Peter, kill and eat. There's these unclean meats on the sheet. Um, If you don't know the story, Peter's like, not so, Lord. I'm not going to eat that unclean meat. I'm I'm a Jew. I don't eat, you know, pig, bacon, and stuff like that. And the Lord says, don't call unclean the thing that I call clean. And Peter's like, huh? And then Peter realizes that they were calling all the Gentile people, the non-Jews, unclean. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to save the Gentile people just as much as I'm going to save the Jewish people. And then Peter goes from there up to... um, Uh, Caesarea, where he meets uh, the centurion and and a Gentile gets saved. And the Gentiles start coming into the church. And and pretty soon there's more Gentiles being saved than Jews from the the cross of Jesus. They're being saved. So what happens is the Jews had been trying to be Jews for a long time. They're saying, what's the deal with these new Gentile Christians? Um, Sure, they love Jesus and they're saved and all that stuff, but they need to be like us Jews and keep the rules, the laws, the Sabbaths, the feasts, the new moons, the festivals, the Passover, and these Gentiles need to be circumcised. Can you imagine if you're one of the young men who said, I praise Jesus, I love Jesus. And like, yeah, but you gotta be like us Jews and you gotta, gotta be circumcised. Well, this was a problem in the church. So they were saying you need to be religious like the Jews. So there was a big council that was held there in Acts chapter 15. And let's just read the highlights of it. I love this, in Acts 15 verse six, it says, and the apostles and the elders came together um, to consider this matter. Um, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago, God made choice among us that the Gentiles, by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knows the hearts bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And then here's the operable sentence that's so important. He says, now, therefore, why tempt you God to put a yoke? There it is, the yoke of religion. Why put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which we, uh, neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. How is a person, Jew or Gentile, saved? By the grace of God through faith. You know, Paul would say, We're saved by grace through faith, not of your works, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. And Peter agrees. Right here, he's saying, Why in the world would we try to put these religious rules on these new saved Gentiles when we ourselves as Jews couldn't even keep these rules? And the answer is because we're all, whether you're Jew or Gentile, you're saved by grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you're saved. So there's this human nature temptation to put a yoke, a burden of religion and rules and regulations on on people. And that's just the way we, we tend to go. You know, it's not by your works or your deeds that you're gonna lose the weight of sin and, and, the, and, and, and the religious acts. Some, some of you kind of get this in your mind and you start, you might, you might even have been someone who's saved by God's grace through faith, you know that. But there's this human nature thing that creeps you back into thinking, well, I was really bad this week, so I better go to Aether Creek and I'll do my penance and listen to that long-winded pastor, Brett, as he goes and talks about the word, I'll do my penance and do my time, and then somehow the Lord will forgive me for my sins. Eh. Um, that's not the way it works. Um, the the way your sins are forgiven is not doing some religious act or going to a confessional booth and saying, "Uh, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Um, Where does the power of forgiveness come? Not from pastors or priests. The power of forgiveness comes from Jesus Christ alone. Um, And Jesus is the one you go to. And so here's Jesus saying, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden with sin, but also with this religious duty that you think you've got to do. And like I said, when we were talking about the guy at the monks and thinking if he memorized 10 languages and memorized the Bible, that he could do enough to eventually become a monk and see what's behind the door. In some ways, there's some of you that are tempted to think, well, if I read my Bible enough. Reading your Bible is a good thing. Going to church is a good thing. There's some really good things about that. But that's not what takes this religious burden off your shoulders. It only adds, the religion tends to add. In fact, it's interesting. I told you about the word religion already, but it comes from the Latin word. The the root word is ligare, which means to bind or to tie together. Um, And then the whole word re-ligare means to rebind or to bind together again. Um, And that's where the word religion comes. And, And it meant in its original form to be a good thing. Hey, we're all bound together, one in Christ. And that's, that's when we sing, give me that old time religion. That's what we're singing about, being bound in a good sense. The problem is over time and even you know, centuries, the word religion has become to be bound up with rules and regulations and it's become an ugly thing. So remember in the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s, hippies were going around, hey man, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And I would say it's not about Judaism, it's about Jesus. And it's not about laws, it's about love. And that's what Jesus is saying here when he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. His yoke is not religion. His yoke is not uh, messed up sin, it's forgiveness of sin. You know, it's interesting because the Galatian people were famous for knowing about God's grace, being saved by grace, but what would they do? For some reason, they'd creep back into this religious legalism. And Paul deals with that. In fact, uh, it says that in Galatians 5, 1 through 6. He says uh, to the Galatians, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. How are we made free? Through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what frees us from sin. But he says this, And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I believe Paul's talking about the yoke of religion. These people in Galatia were saying, okay, you're saved by grace your faith, that's great, but you gotta be circumcised and you gotta keep the Sabbath and you gotta do this and that. And they were trying to put these bondage yokes of religion back on the people. So verse two, behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. That's what the scriptures teach. If you're gonna try to keep one point of the law, how many other points do you have to keep? All of them. That's what the Bible says. That's why nobody was ever saved by keeping the law, the Bible says. So he says, Christ, verse four, is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And some of you were raised in some religious traditions, even Christian traditions that have been a little bit misguided, where if you do a little more, if you sign up or if you're baptized in this church and gone to those things and said those little you know, catechisms or you know, like if you did everything just right, then maybe you'll be in good standing with God. These verses... Speak against that. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you wanna be close to God by obeying the law, you better obey the whole law and not one person has ever been successful with that. Um, So what we get to do is come to Jesus and uh, he invites us all who are heavy laden with what? Sin or rules and regulations of religious duty or whatever it is that's heavy on you. And then he gives us the third invitation. So come to me, Yoke with me. And then, he, and then he says, number three, learn of me. Learn what? What are we supposed to learn? He tells us. He says, learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart. I love this. This is one of the few, the only real autobiographical statement Jesus made of himself about his character and his nature. He says, I am meek and lowly in heart. Now, the problem with the word meek is the way we use the word meekness, it comes off as weakness, but that's not what meekness means. Um, Not to get too many Greek words in today, but I I do think these are important words. The Greek word for meek here, translated from the original Greek, is praous, which means gentle, mild, but power under control. Meekness is not weakness. It's uh, one of the best illustrations I've heard of this, is like you got this huge, powerful stallion. Have you ever seen the musculature of a horse? I mean, horses are incredible animals, powerful. Um, they could kill any one of us if they wanted to. Um, but as it turns out, a, a, a horse that is under control, that's meek. A little five-year-old girl, if she knows how to ride and has the right bridle and bit and all that stuff, she can ride that horse. Um, but that's, that's what meekness is, is. gentle, mild, but power under control. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus was meek. Not weak. And then not only meek, but lowly. And the Greek word for that is another word that I think is loaded with um, interesting word. It's it's tapinos in the Greek, which means humility, but deporting oneself abjectly, deferring servilely to others. In other words, saying, I'm gonna serve others. He he did exactly what Philippians 2 uh, clearly tells us by Paul. Let this mind or attitude be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, uh, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he was humbled. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is what Jesus did. This is that you know, lowly. He became lowly, um, and, and the reason I love this is he's so approachable. Um, nobody, if you really look at Jesus and who he is, you have to say, man, I can come to Jesus. If he said, come to me, and he looked sort of like Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator, come to me, I'll be back. Some of you would be like, yeah, no thanks. But Jesus came as a humble, meek servant, and he's, a, he's the most approachable of any that I could ever imagine or think. And, and, and the fact that he's meek is so good because, If he were weak, then he couldn't bear your burden. But here's a a power under control. And then when you drop your heavy load at the foot of the cross of Jesus, guess what happens? He, with his power, picks it up and lifts it off your shoulders. You guys know what I'm talking about. Those of you that have uh, lived in sin and sinners and never following Christ. And then when you accepted Jesus, There's something that happens when you accept Christ. And I'm I'm not arguing that when you become a Christian, there's some feeling that confirms you're a Christian. Although I have to say, when you become a Christian, most people that I know have this overwhelming sense that the burden of sin in their soul has been lifted off their shoulders. And we, we feel that and we do know that. That's because Jesus is mighty to save. He's able to lift that burden of sin off your shoulders. Then he says, here, take my yoke and put this on, and you go, whoa, this is easy, and his load is light. Why? Because we're saved by his grace, and not by religious rules and regulations, that's heavy, but we're saved by his grace through faith, and our sin is lifted. This is the glorious scripture that's in front of us. He's inviting all of us to come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and he says, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, And you shall, this is a promise, you shall find rest to your souls. That's what we all need. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I'm reminded of that poem that many of your grandmas have the picture in her house hanging on the wall of the, 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 the poem of the footprints in the sand. And it's a great one. I, I remember reading that, thinking, oh, it's awesome. You know, there's the, the two sets of footprints in the sand of life as you're going down the beach of life. And, and then everything's going great until bad things happen. And then there's only one set of footprints. And, and the, the, the person says, oh, uh, Lord, why, where were you when I was going through these really difficult times? There, there's only one set of footprints. And the Lord says, oh, dearly, dear child, you know, it was during those times that I, I picked you up and carried you through those times. You're like, That's so good, thank you, Lord. And it's, you know, it's one of those poems and stuff. Um, that's great. But um, I have an additional one I'd like to read. Uh, it goes like this. It's, it's sort of another stanza. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen. The footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. And then the strangest print appeared. I asked Lord, what have we here? This print is large and round and neat, but Lord, it's much too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and gained no strength. You laid quite still, you would not grow. This walk is not for me, you know. Your neck was stiff, your ears were shut, so there I dropped you on your butt. (laughs) Because in life there comes a time when one must walk and one must climb and one must rise to take a stand or leave his butt prints in the sand. Now, my mom's going to call me after church. Brett, you shouldn't say but in church. <laughs> and she's probably right. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, but, but here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. I think we can add another stanza. What's those long ditches in the sand? Well, that's when you dug your heels in and the Lord was trying to drag you along and you were stubborn. You see, here's the thing. A lot of us stubbornly don't want to just let the Lord take that load and carry um, we wanna keep fighting and we're gonna be stubborn and we plant ourselves down. And, and you know, it's, it's funny because here's this beautiful invitation that sadly a lot of people just blow off. This is a truth from the creator of the universe saying, come to me, take my yoke, learn of me and man, you'll find rest to your soul. Why in the world would you not take advantage of such a glorious invitation from God himself? Um, that's the challenge for us. If you're weary, anxious, worried, what does it mean to to take and lay your burden down in front of Jesus? It's through prayer and just confession of sin and repentance of trying to be religious and trying to do, do, do. When Jesus said, no, it's done, done, done. I did the work on the cross so that you'll be saved by grace. Accept that. Drop that stuff off and follow me and, and I'll put a yoke on you that's easy and a burden that's light. This is a promise of God's word. So there's the old Christian that struggles with keeping this freedom and walking in it, but there's also the unsaved persons. Maybe some here this afternoon or, or this morning are, are, are still stubborn and saying, I don't know about this Christianity. Why would you not take this beautiful invitation from Jesus who would say, I'll take your sins. You're, you're gonna end up crushed in the dirt. Be sure of this. The Bible says your sin will find you out. It, it catches up to you. And the Lord says, but I'll, I'll take that burden. So if you're not a believer in Christ, I would challenge you to rethink because there's so many of us who are wretched, miserable sinners just like you who actually dropped our sins off and man, the Lord Jesus has never let us down. He takes our sins and he bears the burden when he died on the cross. Freedom from sin, hope of heaven, that comes from believing in Jesus, repenting of our sins and following Christ. So let's pray this in. Lord, we thank you for this good reminder As we just meditate on the words of Jesus, Lord, we pray that we wouldn't just blow them off or um, think we already know everything, but help us to reconsider, Lord, those that are anxious, depressed, worried, or heavy hearted in any way, Lord, help us to appropriate this verse practically in our lives. What a glorious invitation that you've given to us here. For the unsaved, unbelieving person, I pray that you just tap them on the shoulder even right now, that they would know their need to be saved and follow after you. Give them ears, Lord, that would hear just such a glorious message. Um, So Lord, we offer all these things to you. Pray your blessing on the rest of our day. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.